What's up, peeps? Before you get into the episode, just a quick message. Did you know that Rebranded Safety is brought to you by Risk Fluent? Rebranded Safety is essentially our campaign to achieve our purpose, which is to make the working world better by Rebranded Safety one interaction at a time. We value a people-centered approach that delivers positive impact on the risk. We deliver three types of services, technical, transformational, and fire. It's the last show I wanted to talk to you about. If you value what we value and you want some support driving a culture change or decluttering your safety systems, or you want to improve human performance and it's our transformational support that can help you, or maybe you want a highly experienced registered fire risk assessor to carry out an assessment on your building, design an emergency plan or review the fire safety design for your new building, then it's our fire support service that can help you. But before you get in touch with us, it's important that you want to have impact on the actual risk and you value a people-centered approach. If you don't, that's fine. You'll find someone that can help you. But if you do value those, then get in touch with us at riskfluentltd.com or email me, james, at riskfluentltd.com. But for now, I'll let you get into the episode. This, this, this show is brought to you by Safety FM. What's up, peeps? Welcome back to Rebound and Safety. Today we're talking to a lovely lady um, in our diversity mini-series. Let's get into the intro. I'll tell you some more about it. The problem in safety isn't deviation, it's complexity. Health and safety has gone mad. Health and safety is trying to unpick having gone mad in the past. There's no one solution and one problem. The problem is that we are looking for one solution. Does the structure of the team allow them to flourish? Feel safe enough to be uncomfortable. The environment defines our behaviours. People aren't the problem, they're the solution. Rebranding safety, crushing a stereotype. Brought to you by Risplit. What's up peeps, welcome back to Rebranding Safety. Rebranding Safety is the YouTube channel exactly what it says on the tin we're here to change the perception of health and safety so if you're new here hit that subscribe button and the bell and all of those magical algorithm thingamajigs just quick shout out from our sponsors before we get into the caveat that comes with this diversity mini series firstly thank you very much to paradigm human performance the sponsors of our youtube channel and podcast paradigm human performance's hsc subscription service is a perfect solution for those small medium-sized enterprises. Those enterprises, those businesses that are spinning all the plates are absolutely ramo, and sometimes safety falls by the wayside. But unfortunately, when that hits a proverbial fan, it can leave you up the creek without the paddle. Paradigm Human Performance have put together this subscription service to help guide you, be the guiding hand to make sure you're constantly there, constantly compliant, constantly improving. This is not your off-the-shelf compliance product. This is a solution designed by human and organizational performance experts because that's what Paradigm are. So this is going to help you put worker safety at the DNA of what you do. It's going to help you utilize the experience, the subject matter expertise of that worker. And it's going to do that all whilst nailing down your industry regulatory compliance. So if you're nailed on, you're sure you want it, you can contact Paradigm via the email address or the phone number in the description below. But if you're still not sure, you go check out their website and check out the learning organization webinar. Okay, let's get into the diversity mini series. So as you know, this comes with a little bit of a caveat that me and my guest um, regularly are having 
open and honest conversations within this mini-series. We have been in the last two episodes so far, and today is no different. In this mini-series, we're trying to raise awareness around diversity within our profession. We're trying to increase diversity within our profession. I genuinely believe we need it. I think we desperately need it. We need some fresh ideas. We need fresh eyes. And we do that through bringing diversity within our profession. That only can be a good thing. And that is our aim here. So please understand that when we're having these conversations, because ultimately the conversations we're having are quite sensitive conversation. The subjects are quite sensitive and we're all really learning how to talk about this stuff. We're evolving and we're understanding how to talk about genders, how to talk about sexual preference, how to talk about race and so on and so forth. So please, if we say something in this, that that's maybe not quite modern enough, that's maybe not on the, right on the nail, then please just... Feedback if you want to, but do it remembering that we are trying to do a good thing here. So today we're talking to Crystal Danbury. It's going to talk about loads of stuff around being a woman and her experiences as a woman in a very male-dominated industry in engineering. She tells all about our experience, her experience. I open up about some of my experiences as well. And we have a really open and honest conversation. Uh, thank you, Crystal, for being so open with us and thank you for coming on. I hope you all learn something from this conversation. So without further ado, let's get into my conversation with Crystal as part of this diversity mini-series. Right, Crystal, welcome to the podcast. Well, thanks for having me. Well, thank you very much for coming on. Do you want to give us a quick introduction to yourself? And then we're going to just chat about you and your career, actually, which I think will be easy for you to talk about. Yeah, amazing. So yeah, Crystal Danbury. Um, I've worked in safety for nearly 20 years um, and mainly in logistics, nuclear, rail and telecoms. So just just recently having gone into retail, but it's been a really good solid 20 years. and I'd never do anything else. Mm. That's interesting, actually, how, how you've gone. From what some would, some would consider really high risk industries to what some would consider quite a low risk industry. That's quite interesting. What was your thought process around that? Or is it the the position or there's a lot of context around it? Or I'm just curious. You don't have to answer that question. No, um, for me, I've always been governed by one question. um, And that is how many people are at risk in the organisation? And risk is, you know, there's varying degrees of risk. But how many people are there in the organisation and how many people can I help? Mm. actually the common vein through all of my role transitions has been bigger companies just started off working on one site that had 1800 people and 18 years later I'm now looking after 200,000 people Mm. oh okay so that's the main thing for me is how many people can I take care of and and where can I have the biggest impact wow so eventually you're going to get to a point where inevitably you can only really be like the head of the United Nations or Parliament or something like that, because there is a cap to what you could do. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Well, it's one of those things that I'd, I've never, ever had a career plan ever. Um, and I've always said, if I'm ever approached for roles, make sure it's something that I think is cool, something that really interests me and I find exciting And that could either be the thing, the risk itself. So nuclear was probably the coolest thing I've ever done. Um, Or actually the mind boggling um, thought of looking after 200,000 people, all their own minds, all that can take a risk in any moment. Um, I I like that sort of going, yeah, how difficult that is. 
um, and I like that sort of continuous challenge and I have no idea what I'm going to do in the future um, or where I, I'm going to end up it'll just be if something comes along and it's cool and I feel like I can do more somewhere else than where I am mm. um, and right now I feel like the job that I've just transitioned into um, is definitely the best place where I can help the most people so it's about the now really you've kind of nailed that value so all it makes decision making much easier I suspect doesn't it yeah definitely especially when I think the market can be quite saturated Mm. um with job roles and it makes it very easy to have quick conversations with recruitment agents when when it's just like well you know what's the key risk how many people are in the business and you get a feel really quick if an organization wants the role and it matters or the organization just think it's a legal post and the minute it's just a legal post I am so not interested because my values are never going to align with theirs Mm. oh I could get into a whole conversation about that but but (laughs) we learned this is what I have sometimes this is what I really hate about my favorite type of podcast conversation is where we mm. don't plan it. We just have yeah. an intro chat. We like introduce ourselves and we talk about loads of shit. We're like, oh shit, we should have just recorded that. Like that was such a good chat. Let's just try <laughs> and recreate that again, like today. And then we press record and then it's like, oh shit. Now I've intended, so this this conversation, like, like you know, I've intended to put this in the kind of diversity mini series, trying to promote diversity within our profession because it's kind of lacking. Yeah, but there's also something I'm really passionate about, which maybe is one and the same. But like yeah. recruitment in safety, just like for me, it's just so archaic and so yeah. like I've I've had and I know you talk to Anna a lot, but like I've had so many conversations with Anna and are like back and forth over LinkedIn or WhatsApp and stuff, and I'm just like, right, we need to have a chat about this because because yeah. recruitment in safety is just like oh, it infuriates me. It, I, I fundamentally think it's a bit broken. Mm, um, yes. And I, so, I, so right, I had a family friend who had a boyfriend and he worked for one of the, a, quite a prestigious, very well-established safety recruitment agency. Very funny. He was like, I'm never going to tell anyone that I know you. But he said, they talk about you in the office all the time as the one they'd like to place. It wouldn't it be good if we could nab her for a place. And I said, well, what's the context around that? Yeah, it was what all makes around. Crystal so special? <laughs> exactly, right? So marketable because of my sex, which I find so disappointing. <laughs> the, the number one thing on your mind is that I'm female rather than I'm brilliant because that's just insulting. Mm. Um, and then the other one is the fee for placing me. It would be really good to get somebody at Crystal's level to place because the fee's really good. Oh, what a shame. Your agency is so underwhelming, Ben. And if you're struggling to get people naturally migrating to you, it's because you're looking at the, the the square peg and the square hole and where can I fit that for the agenda at the moment? And then where can I make the most money? And you look left at the acres the people having really authentic conversation about, but what do you really want from your leadership? And are you investing in their leadership? And do you care? And they're the ones that are changing up the game um, for me. So I've I've very, very often said, I I don't really play with any other agencies rather than, you know, Anna and Acre. Mm. Um, Because I know they're aligned to my value, which is they want to place good people and good businesses. Mm. 
so yeah just interesting insight and, and i suppose i mean you you've actually created a beautiful segue there um which is my job but i don't find that the guests normally do it a lot better than i do um but you know that that kind of tick box side of the way we look at diversity and you know oh, i'd love to place you why well one because we get paid a shitload of money but two because she's a woman and and it's just like that must be really hard to does that does that make you feel like it devalues all the work that you've done like 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 you say like you don't want to place me just because you think of like just because of all the work I've done like you're not like oh, I'd love to give get crystal the the next step mm. it's actually just oh, I'd love to be the one that placed a woman in this this slot yeah I think it, it's it's really interesting right because being female is a non-event right it's in my unconscious because it's not something that is important to me on a daily basis mm. and every now and again throughout your career you get a little kidney punch, right? A little short, sharp punch. And you think, oh, it matters. And, mm-hmm. it, and, it, and it matters to other people, but not for the reason that it should. Um, it suddenly matters because the quote is off, right? Yeah. The percentages that we're trying to manage is off. And so then suddenly your, your sex is relevant. Um, and I've, I've been always been very open. And actually, I, I usually say this in my interview processes too. Um, and that's if you're going to um, give me this position based on my sex, I don't want it. Wow. If you're going to award me this position because what I've done in other businesses is inspiring, then we can talk. But I don't ever want to be a because I got this job because yeah. I should get a job because I'm really good at what I do. Um, and I had a very interesting chat in my in my career um, where somebody said, somebody I thought was amazing, actually. It was a job that I really, really wanted. It was a big step for me. And in my day one, I was told <laughs> that when they saw my name in the pack, that they assumed that it was a gender card, as they called it, right? It was the gender card. They needed to be a certain percentage of women in the, in the pack. Yours was in yeah. there. And they genuinely paid my CV, no heed. Um, And then I went in and I did the interview and I left and they were like, oh God, well, that's actually, we don't even want to interview anybody else. And so when I got the job and I was told that, I thought, what's wrong with that? You know, what was that that made you think there's a girl in here that's, about trying to get the quota up and not about talent what's that unconscious bias doing um that is like there's a girl here and it must be because she's a girl rather than because she's brill and it's like um, the, the work that they're trying to do to mm. increase diversity yeah. is, is like having undesired consequences isn't it like yeah. what you've just said there that's somebody trying to fill a quota that and they came up with that quota thinking it was a good idea like they had the best intentions but actually it's had the undesired consequence in that we've just completely overlooked crystal potentially because we just think she's a gender card and i assume that plays in ethnic minorities and, and and so many other things yeah absolutely yeah absolutely and i think um i had the interview process that I've just been through actually was probably one of my favourite ever 
I was my strongest. I was my most authentic. I asked all those tricky questions. Mm. And um, we had a, I had a conversation after the contract point. And, um, and, and actually it was really said overtly, no one thing. You are here because you are talented and for no other reason. Nice. And I just thought, I've never been more in than in this moment. Mm. Um, actually just knowing that this is not a gender card. Um, this is a talent card. So, do, do you have that in the back of your head? Have you had that in the back of your head throughout your career? Like, am I here just to tick a box? Like, is that does that sometimes come up? Sometimes you just, you know, like, you know, sometimes uh, I get impo- I think we all get imposter syndrome at some point, mm-hmm. and we all chat. Like, so for me, it will be, you know, because I'm in the majority. Unfortunately, whether I like it or not, it's yeah. you know, I'm white and I'm male, so I'm in that majority. So I never have that question really, but mm. I do genuinely sometimes get the question like am I good enough for this role and stuff like that? So in those moments where you may get that, am I good enough? Is that another question that's asked? Like, oh, I'm probably here just because I'm a woman. Do you know what I mean? Or, or is that not a thing? Yeah, so I think in my early career, no. In my later career, the more that the gender diversity has become a thing, yes. Really? Um, in the beginning, I was just, you know, uh, you know, I started out sort of 19 years old, having gone from Domino's Pizza into a nuclear site. And I was just like, oh, there's cool stuff to touch here. Um, they get to decontaminate buildings and all this sort of cool stuff. Um, the issue in the earlier years was that when you got in, people weren't ready for a female to be in that environment. Um, and both behaviorally and culturally, there was nothing to support a woman in the environment. Um, and actually, I find that we're getting a bit better now at getting more women into the processes, those horrible quotas that put people in the pack. And I've definitely been, as we just discussed, the gender card, but ended up smashing out the park and getting the job. Mm. Um, so forcing some of that into packs, I get, being awarded the job on talent, I get. But actually, if you're only fixing the first part of the process, all you women are going to crash out uh, and they're going to move on because if you're just dealing getting people in and you're not looking at your behavioral um, and your culture to keep your keep the women and actually anybody that falls into lbgt gender um any ethnic minorities anything like that then you might get them in but you're never going to keep them that's an expensive way to do diversity and inclusion yeah yeah um so and so if you're not tackling the way that you're speaking um or your harassment policies or any of your policies around bullying um and you're not prepping your people on unconscious bias you're never going to keep anyone you get them in but they'll just move on so and i think the the best example would be very early stages it was as severe as having my my butt slapped like every day by numerous men and saying to my boss I was 19 and these guys were like massive, like rugby Shit. player men, all in their 40s and 50s. And me saying to my boss, I really don't like them touching my body. And them saying, well, you're supposed to be one of the lads now, tell him yourself. I'm like, well, actually need, there needs to be some support. And I was completely left for years with genuine, the unwanted hugs, the butt touching, all of that stuff. And because we hadn't prepped the management to deal with those conversations, we haven't trained anybody to have a difficult convo about appropriate treatment or behavior. 
So you need to do the whole bit holistically if you're going to tackle diversity inclusion, really. So it's, my next question was actually going to be like, you know, so what is in those male dominated environments in the time when it was, uh, you know, is it accepted maybe like because like I've worked in some stereotype like my first ever like I was pretty much born and raised working class construction sites and and like yeah. lads lads environments like yeah on, and if I'm honest like it's one of my favorite places to be like the rugby club where it's all lads lads like I just yeah. love it like construction sites and when I got my first safety job it was in manufacturing and, and I think if it wasn't in that lad stage environment, I may, may not have stayed in safety. Like, but actually I just loved that job. Like I loved that place. But when I look back on it now, and I think like, I remember the rec- we used a, we had a lot of temporary workers and we used one recruiting agency. And because the turnover was just, I mean, it was a horrendous company really. When I look back on it, culture, like what, what is that? Do you know what I mean? It was that kind of company. <laughs> um, it was really command and control. The way the managers run it was just shocking. But at mm. the time I knew, I knew no better. Like for me, it was just like, okay, this is what work looks like. I just need to get myself into the click that's on the side that's, that's in control, not, not the being controlled. Um, so I was just like, right, I've got my sights set and so on. Anyway, that's kind of not really related to the story, but we got this, uh, because we use this recruitment agency, uh, recruiting is, was stereotypically a ladies game. Uh, so they were more what, like lack of diversity, but the other side, really. So we got we got some recruiters based in the office and we had two ladies um, and it was just like these men in the machine that never seen a lady before. Like and, you know, they, they had to walk through the factory to get to their office at the top. And it would be like wolf whistles and stuff like that. And at the time, you know, it pains me to say, but at the time, like. I, I never had the confidence in myself to wolf whistle someone, but you know, it was just like, it was just like, yeah, that's what happens. That's how life is. That's what works like and blah, blah, blah. I still think though, thinking back on that, I'm not sure I think any of us would have accepted a slap on the ass. Like that to me just seems a step beyond. Yeah. Like, so I, I'm kind of like, my question was going to be like, what was it like? But for me, I kind of have experienced it partly, but I still would have thought that's not, that's not just like lads. That's just, yeah, yeah, that's not just lads doing like, all right, darling, that slapping someone on the ass. That's a bit much. I thought, but yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah, I suppose it comes to the question, like, is it, what is, is it just like that all the time throughout male dominated environments like nuclear and rail that you've worked in or Mm. was it more company to company? Or, or culture to culture so I, I think there's definitely something about progression in here um and when I started so I, I got to think what, what year it was it was the beginning of I think, 2003 probably or 2002 when you started in safety and when I started in safety and I the site itself had two very particular areas one was um health physics which is where all your radiation um safety technicians lived and then the other was labs. Now they were completely diverse. Um, we had loads of people doing really cool things and typically they made sort of cancer treatments, radioactive cancer treatments. Um, but in my building, it was me and 22 guys. Youngest I think was probably 45. 
um, I was 19. And then we looked after very closely about 40 male engineers. And so there was literally me. And I think it was total shell shock. I was the first woman or girl even then that they'd ever um, had in. And it was genuinely just how I was treated, but there was no other women around me. So that I knew if, if it was me, if it was women, I, I just didn't know because there was nobody working closely with this group of people. Mm. Um, and yeah, so slaps on the bar. And actually how I ended up dealing with that is I had to grow some serious courage and I had to address it. And there was one particular guy that used to do it all the time. And I kept getting told, he's been here 40 years. You're not going to ruin his career, are you? Been here 40 years. You're not going to ruin his career, are you? Like you would have been the, the going, bad guy kind of the thing. You. I would, of course, right? I would be the bad guy. Um, and I remember going into a lab one day and I was working with somebody else, um, a, a really old technician. And the technician leant me up against a table and almost like bent me backwards over the table. And he was trying to whisper something in my ear. And I just, I, I, in, in that moment, I wanted the world to swallow me up. And he said um, something really gross to which I sort of said, right, I'm gonna close the job down, close the job down really discreetly. And if they hadn't helped me with the butt slapping, they were never gonna help me with this. And I got the same yeah. answer I got, he's gonna retire next year. If you report that, you've ruined it, you'll pull his pension, his grandkids won't okay, have, like, yeah. you'll ruin his house, everything. And in right. the end, I just thought, I'm going to have to start doing this for myself. And I remember saying to the guy the next day that I worked with, slapped my ass, and I said, would you do that? It was a guy on a site called Bobby, right? Would you do that to Bobby? Of course not. I said, why do you do it to me? And he genuinely said to me, does it bother you? Oh, no. Like, well, it's my, it's my body. So yes. And actually, if you wouldn't do it to Bobby, I want you to respect me in the same way you would Bobby. And he was absolutely mortified. Right. Like he no... thought that you liked it. Like you were like, sure. yes, yeah, my arse. Like, of course. Oh my God. No way. <laughs> yeah. So I thought actually at that point, they were so like wrapped up in their own, like it must be a compliment that my duty was to start saying to people, this is ridiculous. This is like just pulling people up. Um, but when I went into rail, I kind of prepped myself for the same yeah. because old school industry around the same yeah. amount of time and it wasn't. So th okay. the sort of discrimination that you see, I think definitely takes different guises in different organizations. Um, lots of discrimination that I've seen around being a parent, um, maternity, breastfeeding, all those sorts of things, sin lots. Um, but it all sort of just augments, depending on the typical culture, I think, of the organisation. Well, I just I just think we're... Firstly, I think I need to acknowledge, like, that story is fucking nuts. <laughs> that is crazy. That he was like... I mean, firstly, I kind of respect the guy a little bit that he was mortified afterwards and was kind of like, oh, my God. Like, And I assume he didn't do it again. Like, no, never. So, so like, I kind of respect him because he'd been told, he'd acknowledged it. And, like, you probably kind of changed his world a little bit, I think, back then. Yeah. Um, so fair play to him at that point. But, like, shit, the kind of the blinded kind of vision, the narrow-mindedness of that, that, that he was kind of just, the, the, what, that you were sitting in, in your office every... It's kind of comical, isn't it? Like, yeah. that you're sitting in your office every day being like, 
god yeah I, and i love coming to work every day and get like oh god it, it makes me feel uncomfortable just to say it yeah absolutely. and i've worked in some pretty shit places but that just <laughs> to me and i think what's also interesting i wonder is that because i want i want to come on to what you were talking about the like the maternity and stuff like that and i think that we need to talk about that definitely but to pause that for one second yeah you were you 19 so you're yeah. also very young. Yeah. And I think we're also not very good at dealing with young people either. Like, so, you know, young, young girl, essentially 19. Do you know what I mean? You, you're a young girl. My sister-in-law is only 20. You know, she's yeah. still at uni. So I'm still, yeah. I still think she's a girl. Like, she'd probably kick my ass if I said that. She'd be like, I'm a woman. But like, <laughs> you know, you're still very young, aren't you? Like, so there is this assumption, I think, in a youth as well like we're, we're really poor we're kind of discriminatory yeah like we kind of discriminate youth just as much as we do anything else i think but i wonder if the youth piece played in in your your story as well well i was i was definitely the only one uh, of my age group anywhere yeah. near my team um so i i actually have no idea whether age played a part of it, in it or not actually um i just know that it was, I, I, what I do think actually is we assume, and I see it now, we assume that youth is bullshit, I think. I think we assume like, you know, we, 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 they're young and they're free. Arrogant, yeah. They're arrogant. And it doesn't matter whether it's generation, oh, was it Z, millennials, whatever. Yeah. We always just assume they've got it better and we assume that they're bullshit and we assume they'll just tell us how it is. And the reality is, actually you've been out of school three years and actually haven't seen a lot of life that isn't by a timetable by a schedule with a set summer holiday mm. um you haven't seen life yet and you can have people that are a little bit arrogant a little bit bullshit but actually it's very very easy to impede on their personal boundary they haven't learned what a boundary is yet mm. not in a in a um not in a professional sense, mm. Um, mm. if they're fresh out of university or something, because this is They've the first time... They've been protected their they... entire life, haven't they, really? Sure. They've had guidance figures around them, tutors, right. um, counsellors, right. parents, all that sort of... And suddenly you're in a professional setting with loads of people own. that are not governed, right? And my advice was go tell them yourself. Yeah, yeah. I was a really bullshit, right? And the la- you were saying about lads, lads, right? My whole teens and 20s is exactly where I was. Um, And the thought of saying something to this guy about him slapping my butt was beyond terrifying. And yet I was a really confident teenager. So I think sometimes we assume that everyone's all right speaking up, but actually you need to be there and to look at signs and signals and to listen to the smallest of voices and be willing as a leader to step in and say, I'm going to amplify that voice for you because this is tough. I'm yeah. also going to acknowledge that this is a very strong, good, healthy boundary. And we are going to help you support that boundary. We don't do it. No, I can. Don't, I, can I don't think we do it well. Yeah, I, I can echo that with, with my own story. And I think that I'm not really, I've told a lot of stories on this podcast. I'm not sure if I've told it on this, this, like this, but it fits very well to your story. So 
oh yeah, it kind of dawned on me. I'm about to say something that was uh, that's quite big in my in my history. So when I've worked my entire life, like literally, like pretty much just popped out of my mum and I was working. You know, I literally worked my entire life. So I think I was, you know, just into double figures, and I was probably working for my uncle on a construction site or mowing his lawn or washing his car, doing something. Yeah. And then I had my first job. I was like. 16 17 uh well I must have been I remember when did you get your GCSEs 15 16 depending on yeah. your age so I was getting my GCSEs when I had this job uh so because I remember this guy taking me to get my results so anyway small paper merchant big warehouse terrible safety when I look back on it but big kind of warehouse just full of full of paper small office at the front and it was like, um, I think it was a franchise, but long and short, long story short, you had two owners, a husband and a wife, loveliest people I've ever met. Like I talked to them for years and years and years. And just coincidentally, we've kind of drifted apart now and I've not seen them for years now, but lovely, lovely people. And then you had the kind of team leader that run the warehouse. And um, he was uh, a very angry old man, so to speak, but I've been surrounded by bullshit men my entire life. Like my uncle's full of it, you know, sarcastic banter, 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 blah, blah, blah. Yeah. But there's one thing I wasn't was very confident. Like I wasn't confident at all. Um, I still kind of struggle with that now, really, to, to a lot of people with uh, popular, contrary to popular belief. But um, anyway, it was in this kind of working environment. And um, I can't to the day remember for the life of me what I said to him. But I do know that my base uh, go-to is humour and, yeah. and digs. Like, that's my go-to all the time. Like, if I'm uncomfortable, if I'm nervous, I'll make a joke. And it will sometimes be about that person or just be something. Like, it will just come out like I, I really struggle to control it, even now at the age of 30. So looking at back on me, I think that's probably what I did. So I probably said something to him from a jovial, bantery point of view. And he must not have fucking liked it because he his hand went whoosh, straight onto my throat and I it, to the point where he knocked me back and there was a wall behind me, luckily, or not luckily, depending on how you're looking at it, um, throat, like throttled me basically and picked me up. So I'm like full of this is like full on Captain America stuff, like full on yep. picked me up, feet off the ground, except I'm not Captain America, I'm the poor fucker on the wall. Like <laughs> Yeah. like shit and then he let me down and I, I can't remember for life of me what what he said after that all I, I vividly remember that point and I worked there for another year or so afterwards like constantly in fear of that guy now like constantly yeah. in fear of that guy and um and I remember when I left I can't yes I can remember how they found out the wife we were talking away and I was talking to the wife and I've been raised by women so I open up a lot better to women than I do to men yeah. and um I can't remember we were having a chat but somehow she got it out of me and I told her and she was like when did this happen and I was like I don't know like a year ago and she lost her shit like she lost her shit she was like why didn't you tell me blah blah you know we open door kind of policy we, we're here for you right and they are such lovely people but what you said would hit the nail on the head it's easy to say speak up but you've got to create the right environment in which people feel like they actually can and that's really hard that's yeah. really hard because this guy's in who run the warehouse, his persona, his kind of aura that created it, it was his territory. He controlled that. So if it's fear, which it was, when I can just kind of psychoanalyze this as I look back on it with my little bit of knowledge and training in this area, I look back on it and I go, 
yeah, shit. Like it was, he controlled that. That was his territory. And there was no fucking way I was saying anything until oh, I knew cool. I had an out. I yeah. knew I had an out. And then she asked me, I look back on it now and I go, right now I'm safe. Cause I ain't got to come back here. It's yeah. not my last day that I told her. And yeah. she went, obviously went and told her husband and he <clears throat> lost his shit. Yeah. But I still think the guy worked there for many, many years afterwards. No, do you know what? You've just hit on something that I feel really passionate about. I think there is a fundamental flaw. This and this is I feel so so strongly about this. Um, there is a fundamental flaw with um, legislation um, around discrimination, and there's a window. There's a window of three months to take action from the event of the discrimination. Right now, how long is your average notice period? A month, isn't it? Or well, anything from month, three months to six months, depending on yep. where you are in your position, really. So, so most of the roles that I've been in have been three to six months. Yeah, yeah. You have to take action <laughs> within three months. So, if you, you are a log- working, of course, right? So, if you are a logical human being that has mouths to feed or a mortgage to pay, and you say, do you know what? My form of action here, just like you, is to say. I'm not happy with this environment. I'm going to find a more nurturing environment to move to. And you are a rational, sound human being. And you're like, right, now my toes in the water. I'm going to see what else is out there. And you typically speak up when you found somewhere to be. You found somewhere safe to be. Then that's where things like exit interviews come in, right? People tend to say a lot in exit interviews. But by the time you serve a notice, so forget that's if you were, let's just say, discriminated on day one you found a job on day one, and then you serve your proper notice, you're still outed your three months. There is no way that we are enabling people to take proper action against discrimination if you are saying you have to quit your job or it has to be within three months because nobody can go and make sure that their bills are paid and their babies are fed, right? Because it all times out. Mm. And like you say, when you run on fear, and there's no way that you can just walk into an office and say, this isn't right. Um, unless like you say you genuinely nurture an environment where it is really open door and everybody in that environment knows action comes as a consequence of that mm. rather than but are you all right there did, did he did he mark are you okay Is your neck all right oh well, yeah but he really scared me yeah but are you okay mm. and then he works there for 20 more years and that's even good people that run a business great people um so they yeah there needs to be a whole holistic piece on you know, how we're really enabling people to speak up. And if people really can't speak up, the legislation I don't even think is set up in a way that allows people to address it afterwards. No, that's fascinating. I never knew that. That's, it just doesn't make sense. And I think as well, there's like a, there's like a miss, is it like a, there's like a naivete to it in that like, we'll take action then. Well, come on. I'm, I'm still working with this person every fucking day. Like, don't be naive that like, or you can take action against that company. Like, it's easy to sit there and say, well, just just sue then. Just just go mm-hmm. and sue or take action. Or, yeah, but I've, I've still got to work there. Yeah. So like, you need to think like, it's a bit naive, really, isn't it? Yeah. If you think about action in the real world, saying something, acknowledging something and it being acted upon, it shouldn't be your responsibility to create the action. Actually, it's the organization's responsibility to ensure that you are all reasonably cared for. And if we're all working under duress or under fear or being discriminated against, actually the action's on you. 
The action's on you to address how your managers act, what your definition of good treatment is, how you want people to engage. Mm. It is your responsibility as a business owner to really define and emanate, right? Be the example of great, just behavior. Mm. Um, And not go down to the 19-year-old that's just been throttled to say, oh, that's on you, pal, right? Absolutely outrageous. Of course it's not. It's down to you as a business owner to say to the individual that's discriminating, that's not how we do it here. Yeah. And it's not how we will either. And, and just like we'll, we'll kind of move on to the uh, maternity stuff, because I think that's really interesting. But <laughs> fair, fair play and thank you very much for sharing your story. So I thought that was especially the story around the arse slapping and the event that happened with that gentleman. I think that's quite powerful. And and I think it, it you must have, it must have taken quite a strong young lady to be able to turn around and take control of that yourself. So well done. Thank you. No worries. Uh, oh God, I tell you what, this diversity mini series is banging out some crazy stories, and you just <laughs> you just don't realize. Like I've talked to, I did a, I've did it ages ago now, but I've got I've got a few interviews sitting ready to go as part of this mini series, and I, I'm I am quite nervous about putting it out because some of the stories are really like maybe heroin's not the right word, but they're really like, shit, like this stuff happens. And it's, and it is a minefield of an environment. Like I don't want anyone to come back and say, Oh, James said this wrong. And it completely devalue the message that I'm trying to, like, I'm trying to do something good here. It's, yeah. and it, it's this space. It's just really hard to kind of operate in, isn't it? Like to yeah. do, try and do something right. Kind of like the similarly to what we said about the quotas, like you're trying to do the best thing. And when I spoke to Sam, uh, Goodman, who runs another podcast in America called The Hot Nerd, and and he's um he's he's a gay man, and he's got you know a beautiful husband and a beautiful daughter, and you know he's very out with it, he's very um you know vocal about it, and he's really passionate about kind of sharing his story and hoping you know helping the profession learn and, and industries learn. So we got him to talk on it, and his story is just like, <sighs> Jesus Christ, yeah. this stuff is real, man. It really is. Yeah. Like this isn't just like the, the woke left talking about, you know, because because it's nice to have like yeah. this shit still really does happen. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I think on the on the topic of maternity and and, and actually I want to acknowledge um, that it is really difficult to operate in this space. Um, and actually, that's what gives discrimination power is it feels really tricky uh, to talk about it. And we're not sure the language to use. And we're not sure mm. if something's going to make somebody an inspiration or if it's going to backfire and suddenly be, you know, we're being um, inflammatory. Yeah. Um, but actually how we create a safe space to talk about it is just by keep having the tricky convos, right? Just by keep talking about it. And and actually, there is a real risk without these conversations that you can kind of sit back and think it's not really a big deal. Not, you know, there's not lots of hurt going on mm. um, because, as we have just discussed, it's not very easy to talk or speak up when you are being hurt. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I'll give you a really great example that I... Um, when I went on maternity leave, my um, husband at the time was a builder and he always, always wanted to give up work and be a full-time dad. And I was like, 
I believe in total equality, right? Me and him have an equal right to be at home. If he wants it, damn straight, right? Planned it all out. We got to the bit before I went back to work and I went in for um, one of those sort of introductory meetings. And I said, one of the things to put on the table is I was breastfeeding. And before I got the second sentence out, um, I was told, oh, don't, if you're going to come back and request flexible working to, to breastfeed, it will give me a real concern over your role. Hmm? And I was like, ah, oh. so bearing in mind, I work in safety, right? <laughs> health and safety. Um, and it was basically made very, very apparent after that conversation that working in the office that was 20 minutes from my door so I could sort of nip home and breastfeed Emily three times a day was absolutely off the cards. No way. Um, and I had to um, wean Emily from 100% breastfed to bottle in four weeks over Christmas. Shit. And I can't tell you the absolute internal depression that that brought me and her mm. because I felt like, my want for equality my want to be able to have an equal relationship with my husband and allow him to be a full-time dad was costing her somehow Mm. um for me to be the breadwinner cost her um her ability to be breastfed Mm. um and i really struggled with that for quite a long time and there was nowhere to put that conversation because it's a very tricky thing um Mm. and so i think using these examples and I use them and actually I I really dig deep if I'm making any decision from a managerial perspective from a leader perspective I always put myself immediately in the person talking to me shoes and think what would I want to do and sometimes it's I want you to ask me more questions because it's not easy for me to say what's hurting me Mm. sometimes it's I want you to make a decision sometimes it's action whatever it is yeah but I absolutely know from that experience anyone that works with it goes on maternity leave that's tough coming back anyway Mm. um and the guilt and the parent guilt all that stuff you have to live with the best thing i can do for you is to say are you ready what do you need how can i help you because also people don't really understand the mind numb that goes on on maternity leave is like you're talking to a babbling child that can't talk yet <laughs> and, it, and intelligent women need good conversation um, or all women, everybody needs good conversation and interaction. Um, and so it's just about how can I enable you to do your best, be your best and actually limit that parent guilt. Um, and that's just based on me being hurt in the past. And, you know, if you don't learn from mistakes, especially from the mistakes of others, um then you know what are we doing we're not we're definitely not evolving as leaders oh here here i mean that that was i love i love that you've brought this up for a few reasons mm. one there's kind of so much in this like what yeah. well, i'm i've just had a baby as you know so i got a seven month old baby and my wife is currently coming to the end of her maternity leave yeah it's very interesting to see how it's going on and actually how much anxiety that's causing in my wife of not mm. really understanding what's going on. And there is some context to my wife's story in that um, she severely slipped a disc early on uh, in, in, in there. So she um, 
can't go back to the kind of she works in a hospital so she can't go back to the like patient handling role that she used to do because it just okay. just ain't gonna happen um and her physio is like yeah you need to do that but she can go and do admin roles because she used to be like she used to be head of operations basically for a multinational kind of distribution center amazing so she, can, she can smash that shit out like any day so just being able to transition and say like well i'm sorry here's what here's what my physio is saying I'm, i can't come back on the ward and they're like yeah okay that's fine and it's because it's not an easy transition because it's not a smooth yes here's your job that's now yeah. created so much anxiety in my wife that's just like well what am i going to be when i go back now what am i going to do like we're defined by our work so much aren't we like yeah i could not imagine just taking nine months out and then slotting back into your role and i think no matter what that role is you know maybe some roles are easier to slot back into than others but like that must be a massive challenge and that i think we're not very good at like i think of now experiencing all the stuff that my wife's gone through i approach maternity risk assessments return to work completely different and it's exactly what you just said it's all it's all about enabling that that person that 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 person that's on leave or in that situation to be able to turn around and say, "This is right. This is wrong. This doesn't work for me. That does work for me," uh, and and explore that. Like, yes, there may be things that I'll be able to play um, to expand on. I'll be able to say, "Well, couldn't we do this?" You know, just throwing solutions out there. Not like I'm the the person that knows anything, but just could this work? Could this work? Could this work? Mm. Kind of thing. And no, 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 that wouldn't work. That wouldn't work. But that could work actually, and just yeah. explore. You know, emer- having an emergent conversation essentially is what we're trying to do. Yeah, and I would approach it so much different, so much more different than what I would of before I'd actually experienced it through my wife. Yeah. Well, I think I think what you're hitting on there, my, my true belief between the different types of safety. I see inverted commas types of safety because it's all just looking after people. We just have different styles. Mm-hmm. Um, and different things that we put bigger values on. Um, the bit that's missing from safety, and you've nailed it, is empathy. Yes, right. Um, and actually, I think we, I think one of the things that would fix the gender issue um, is actually if we really, really marketed safety as what it is, which is it's a care profession, mm-hmm. right? You can be a doctor, you can be a nurse, a physician, a physio, you could be a health and safety manager and mm-hmm. take care of the health and the safety mental physical psychological of people yeah this is a care role yeah and actually what's happened over the years is we've had a whole bunch of people that we've designed a whole bunch of very dry forms and we tick them right are you coming back to work tick enter your date write it in there are you going to assume all your roles we have provided you a room for breastfeeding and and yeah do you know what i mean oh this the the, we could just give her the first aid room this horrible sterile room to be able to just go and like like and 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 i'm just sorry i've interrupted you but that that point i think is so powerful because actually i didn't know i because i'm a man i know a young man like have no idea actually how hard it is to breastfeed how yes. challenging it is how <laughs> vulnerable you feel like honestly naively just thought it'd be like baby boom boom off we go like yeah. the baby could be different you could have one baby and it loves it next baby doesn't love it if you're nervous and because there's people around that if you're in a fucking first aid room you know and you're not relaxed the baby's not gonna be relaxed. like 
I just think about like so many times, so many times I've just gone, well, we've got the first aid room. They could use that in my, in my career. And now I would be like, yeah, I'm fucked if we're putting her in a first aid room. Right. Like, because you can totally empathize having seen someone that you love um, and you think actually, how do I want her to be treated? Mm-hmm. How do I want her to? And actually the bit that comes with empathy is respect. Yes. Yes. And um, by saying, you know, um, I don't know, Crystal's returning. There is oh, the, uh, what they're looking for is a room to breastfeed that we can close the door on. That is a very clinical assessment of what my needs are. Mm. What I actually need is a place where I don't feel like I'm in the way and I don't feel like I'm being hidden because it's, you know, it's a bit of a problem. We're sort of juggling it. I want to be treated like the absolutely smashy individual that I am juggling my baby, juggling my profession, doing it all. And the pride I feel can be eroded with very simple things like she can just use the first aid room. Mm. Um, And when you, when you, when you attach empathy and respect to our profession, it does change conversations so dramatically. And it may be that you have a first aid room, but do you have a comfy chair? Yeah, exactly. Because actually can take a little minute, not to sort of focus too much on breastfeeding, but even think about return from maternity leave um, and how much stress that can cause. Now, if you're talking to somebody returning from maternity leave now, you'll be able to empathise and come right back to your wife and you'll be able to picture her and think okay actually I can remember what this you know my my witnessing of these emotions and these feelings and Mm -hmm. she's going to try and be so professional to show that she's ready to come back to work what she's carrying is a very big backpack of guilt because she really wants to come back because her you know your mind's a bit numb or it might be they have to financially but they don't really want to so many feelings mixed up in there and like you say right back to that empathetic conversation of what do you need to feel like you smashed your day yeah right let's try and make that happen yeah you need to do it like that because there's no standardized approach to this like like we have friends who have had babies and breastfeeding for them is just like literally like I, i just said like boom baby boom off we go whip it out anywhere i'm done it works perfect easy peasy and then we have friends uh, that, that weren't comfortable with that. So it depends on you, your personality, the situation, your experience, whether you and the baby are, are having a good connection there. So sometimes, you know, the baby just ain't doing it. And, yep. and you kind of said earlier as well, the thing that you said earlier, which I can really understand, is when you are in a way kind of forced unintentionally by your 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 husband or, or your ex-husband, I think it was, um, and your and your your employer to to wean your baby onto bottles like as a man that didn't experience that would probably be like we'll just put put the baby on bottles just put the baby on. but actually again I've, I've been enabled to have empathy of that because sherry went to hospital and because mm-hmm. of the amount of drugs that she was on because of her back she had to we had to put maggie on bottles and because yeah. sherry was in hospital for four days as well and i unfortunately i couldn't i'd, I'd, <laughs> Not I'd grown i'd grown some boobs over the over the dad bod <laughs> time um, but but i they didn't work <laughs> yeah. so so you know we had to put mags on on bottles yeah. and actually the words you said like the guilt that sherry kind of just felt that i had to kind of work with her and say maggie's still getting what she needs like i understand but you know there should be no guilt there like 
Yeah. It's, there's so much more to this that yeah. actually just saying those things that you say, like, how can I help you just be you and be successful as you? What mm. can I do to help you? Are you okay? Yeah. You know, whatever. Yeah, absolutely. I think I, I think starting with people's picture of what good looks like or success, because actually success for a returning mum might not be a good day because God, you know, right now, right in this minute, I don't want to be here. I'm looking forward to hot tea. Every mum will say it. Every returning parent will say it. Looking forward to hot tea. Um, but actually everything else in here is just feeling a little bit like I don't really want to be doing this. So actually, what does success look like? Your, your best day at work. Talk to me about what that looks like. And let's try and build on that as opposed to sort of stick to the to the checklist. Um, and I do. And, and I actually I think if we're really going to address equality in the workplace and diversity in the workplace, um, and I'm very unpopular in some discussions for saying this, but we really need to think about how we're equipping men to take time at home as well. Yes. Um, because we don't. Yes. We, we say to the men in our lives um, or the co-parents in our lives, you've got 10 days. Mm. Um, and I know from having a four day birth in an emergency C-section and very near oh. to a blood transfusion, 10 days is a joke. Yeah, it's a fucking um, joke right you can't even drive after a c-section for six weeks um and i think if we're really going and this is that whole thing at the beginning where i said about holistically looking at diversity you have to enable what you're trying to aim for if you're saying the world is made up of 50 percent women we want our organization to be 50 percent women cool expect for the rest of that population that that you're displacing with men to have an equal opportunity to be at home and raise their children then. Yeah, because that, that doesn't got, exist. Right, it doesn't. No. Um, and so, you know, I, I remember having a conversation um, when I went to swap some of my maternity leave. And there was a policy now that means that you can swap some maternity leave. And my ex-husband was a builder, like I said. And I said, how do I give the rest of my maternity leave to him? And I was basically told, no one really knows because the government have made it so, at the time it was new, complicated yeah. we had to just forego it and yeah. just like let it go which is such a shame wow. um and you know the guilt actually in him watching me because ha- he'd given up his job by the time this awkward conversation happened there was no going back so he had to watch me transition emily for um you know over four weeks and over christmas cr- crying and crying crying both of us because this is kind of what we decided but Tell me how we've, you know, how, how we've equipped men to be able to thoroughly support. And I'm going to say it, bond. You cannot expect a father that has on Saturday seen his baby be delivered. And in a couple of Saturdays time, he's back at work for a four, if we're all living the dream, a 37 hour week, which never actually happens. <laughs> um, and he's back to work having to totally focus. And now bigger responsibility that that yeah. salary is so much more important now yeah how is he uh bonding he's not, he's not. right i'm telling you that now he's not I've, can, can, yeah. i can quote for myself he is not and i have been extremely uh, this i am so passionate about this for obvious reasons yeah. but like you know maggie was born seven months ago and and i was in, in a way i was damn lucky that there was a global pandemic like this global yeah. pandemic for me has has done me so many favors yeah. and and it's and it's tore lives apart and I don't I don't say that to to devalue their experience but no. how it's how it's landed for me 
is yeah. I've been damn lucky because actually I'm working two bedrooms away from my baby girl and I can finish a Zoom call, make a coffee and go and see her and I can bond. So yeah. here's, here's, some, here's a reason why this is so passionate, why this is for me just cuts me so deep is, yeah. is I was, as I said earlier, raised by women. I was raised in a fabulous household and, yeah. and never understood it. I never understood it. I still to the day probably don't really understand it. But when I look at it, society doesn't allow fathers to bond because we give them two weeks yeah. and then we tell them, get back to work. Yeah. Get back to work. It's like, it's like, hang on a minute. How can I bond with my child in, in two weeks? And then and there's so many separated, separated families out there. And I, and I just look at it and I'm just like, how much better would the world be? if we allowed fathers to bond with their children One without having to steal the maternity off of their wife as well. Cause yeah. I think that's disgusting because I if said I get sh- a chance, it's taking something yes, to exactly. give me a chance. And, and me and Sherry had this exact conversation when Mag, when she was pregnant with Maggie and, and I was like, I, I would like longer maternity. Like I knew I wanted longer maternity. Yeah. And, and I would have had to have took it, took it off Sherry. And I'm just like, no, I'm not comfortable doing that. I don't think yeah. that's fair. And lucky yeah. I didn't because, you know, with a, with a slip disc and, and all that, you know, it would have been a nightmare. But uh, I just look at it and I'm just, it's, it's, and I, like I say, I've been lucky. And I feel so, you know, I know a couple of men in my friendships and families that have gone to work in a warehouse or somewhere on site or whatever two weeks after it. And I just think, I tell you what, if they're anything like me, they ain't present, that's for sure. Yeah, of course they're worried. Because actually, you don't know, especially if it's your first, when you, you know, everyone knows that fear of when you get home with that baby carrier from the car and you think, oh, Christ. Mm. Okay, right, we're just going to have to sort of fathom this out. And actually, two weeks in, and this is the other bit, I sort of joked about it with a couple of my female friends, um, that at two weeks, if you're super, like Emily slept loads, it was like, oh, the first couple of weeks, they're quite still quite quiet right they're still just sort of not really realizing they're out of mum and then by the time your partner goes to work oh that's when it breaks 100% right (laughs) absolutely and and actually it's it's gutting for I think the mum to be on her own if she is and it's gutting for dad to be able to go out that door and actually dad co-partner you know other mum whatever it is other dad the partner to leave their partner when it is all so new, so scary, and everything depends on you, is so much. And you also see the anxiety in life that then that creates, where, you know, Pops is at work or the other partner's at work all day, all week, you know, doing doing their damnedest to make sure the house is sort of running and everyone's safe and fed. And then the birthing mum wants to, I don't know, nip to Tesco, just a bit of sanity. Yeah, and they're yeah, like, yeah. oh, uh, and then um, this, the, and they, they go over the nappies and they go over the sleeping, they go over that. And you're like, you've told me, babe, you've told me 10 times, mm. but you haven't been given long enough, not only for you to bond with baby, but for both of you to become a unit and be parenting together. Yeah. And yeah, that exactly. brings in itself a full confidence mm. that you can both take a second out if you need to. Yeah. Because um, either one's not leaving the other one like hanging you out to dry and the other one's not feeling like they're bailing. Um, so yeah, I think society definitely, that's one thing that we really have to do. If you, if we want more women in the workplace 
especially if we want more women in leadership where it's not a typical nine to fiver we really need to look at how we treat men in the parental sense or co-partners yeah. in the parental sense yeah yeah 100 percent, 100 percent, and that comes into you know what's it called maternity paternity leave and that also comes into society not assuming that men don't know how to raise children because i i'd like to speak on behalf of all dads we we are not stupid and we know what we're doing so stop patronizing me please yeah and that and that's that's not just grandparents that's nurses that's yeah. doc, that's they they there's a straight up assumption that yeah. men don't give a shit that we're not here to, to 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 because we care that we're here because the wife has told us that we should go along and yeah. and i'm telling you now i've never experienced sexism in my entire life until sherry fell pregnant but sitting in oh, meetings yeah. with nurses and so on and i'm like shit is this what sexism feels like <laughs> yeah because it's yeah, yeah, yeah. fucking annoying i like and i'm sitting there and i'm just like getting to i remember sitting in a car once with and i'm like sherry i'm not being funny if if another nurse talks to me like that i'm gonna lose my shit because yeah, I, yeah, I'm yeah. here because I care about you and my baby. I'm not here because because oh lunch just fell at an all, uh, all right time, and I thought I might just <laughs> pop along. Or if yeah. I don't come along, I'm in the doghouse. Like yeah, honestly, society needs to pull their socks up and start treating men as well like it's yeah. okay for us to be dads. And that's that thing about unconscious bias is absolutely yeah. two way. Um, and I remember in one week um, having two, like being witnesses to two conversations. One of them was um, my ex-husband was having a really tough week at home with Emily, right? Um, and bearing in mind, you know, couldn't find a public changing room that he could go in because he was male with Emily. Uh, yeah. He was full-time, full-time dad, right? Yeah. Everyone was then questioning, why are you giving up building? Why are you doing the girl bit? Um, there was no everything was a mummy and baby group it was all that stuff and yeah. it was a total alien world he was full-time and then I remember him having a tricky week and somebody who I really thought was my my friend said to me oh, maybe you can give up on this silly notion um, of you being a professional get home to your daughter take care of her and let him work oh shit like steam coming out ears, steam coming out noses. Honestly, <laughs> everything in me was like white hot. And I was I like, bet. I'm I just bet. going to leave the room. Like, how dare you be a professional woman? And, and, and stop it. Like the assumption that I'd stopped, that that would only be a decision that the woman had the power to make and would have forced upon the man. And actually, it absolutely wasn't. Yeah. Um, and it was a silly notion. In and, anything, and actually, it was kind of the other way around by the sounds of your, your situation. He absolutely wanted to do it. He loved the idea of being a dad. And I think, I just think it's an equal right. We had a conversation and said it's a level playing field. What do we want to do? I am yeah, here, by I, the way. My camera's just died. Carry on. Yeah. So, <laughs> uh, and then, you know, he was at home for, for four years and I was at home for nine months. And you know what? damn like that whole thing about patronizing assuming that men can't parent what a joke um no, he's absolutely outstanding dad my current partner um my um my boyfriend richard we've been together for um several years and he is a single parent to um his little boy the most outstanding dad let's stop pretending that dad's or the the, the co-parent is the second option right because it's not the both parental roles are exactly the same. Yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, definitely. And it's just, just remove all judgment. Like one of the biggest problems that we have is just judging people. Like, and, and I, I, I love Gary Vaynerchuk. I don't know if you've ever come across him. Like no. a massive podcaster, massive YouTuber, but he's like a, a straight up marketeer, businessman, uh, you know, investor, stuff like that. And people think that's all he is. Like I'll watch him because he's really good at business. But if you actually listen to what he talks about all the time, it's, it's lessons for society. It's lessons for safety. It's lessons for psychological safety. Because one of the best lines that he said, which I have literally taken away with me, and in this household, because I was raised in quite a judgy environment, like we, my family have raged to judge people, like, oh, that's your that's your car, you're doing it right, and yeah, that's your car, you're not doing very well, kind of thing. And yeah. and that's ingrained in me for a long time, which didn't help my own self esteem either. But like when you look at it, and he says one thing. Which, which me and my wife pretty much live by all the time now, is you can't judge without context. Yes. You don't know me, so don't judge me. You cannot judge without context. And he says, mm-hmm. I will not judge you because I do not know the full story. And that is exactly the same with this. It's yeah. like you can't judge a woman for coming back to work and you can't judge a, a dad for not or, or to, you, you've, you've quite rightly corrected it several times a co-parent see and yes. it, it's all a transition like for me yeah. trying to remember actually it's not typically man and woman it could be man and man could be woman and woman and so on and so forth but um you know it's just it's just what it doesn't affect me it doesn't affect yeah. me in any way shape or form what your decision is yeah. but if i'm the employer i'm just here to try and make sure that what you want to do is come back to work how does that work because frankly i want you to do well at work yeah because if you don't, I don't make any fucking money. <laughs> so is it not, doesn't that just make sense for me yeah. to look after you? Yeah. And in terms of looking after as well, um, I I always hark back to um, a really amazing guy that I used to work with, nicknamed Lakey, right? So Lakey, amazing guy. Um, and he had two weeks paternity to take. And there was so much pressure in this work environment because he was such a linchpin. And there was really subtle requests about him splitting that paternity leave. Could what, you two take weeks? it later? Honestly, could you delay it a bit? Does she need you immediately? And, you know, when you look at a situation and you think, what are you doing? Again, where's that empathy? Because actually, if he is, even let's just say he, he felt fairly benign about the whole thing. He didn't. But let's just say he did. And he was like you know what? Yeah, fine. You know, I'll, I'll split it. I'll take a week at the beginning and a week in a month. You're fundamentally getting in the way of any possible bonding yeah. and maybe support and maybe anything for his wife and him to then form because you're about to walk into a new area of your entire life. It's mm-hmm. not you anymore. It's not you two. It's actually the unit. Um, and I think I also remember him coming back after those split weeks and I remember there being no conversation, no like, how are you? No empathy yeah. around actually how it might feel for him to be at work either. So well, yeah, the, I think- I think There isn't a return to work for dads or, no. or co-parents or anyone coming back off, off, two, off two weeks paternity leave. No. There, there, there is no return to work. Like I, I didn't have a return to work. and I, I don't blame my employers for that. Like, I just think that society legislation whatever all of the context that, that's there doesn't doesn't tell an employer that that's something you should do yeah 
and and the day that when we look at this and go, well, I tell you what, there's a great example. There's a great example of the potential that this could have. Yeah. If you go and watch Netflix explained miniseries and there's one episode on the gender pay gap and they oh. basically say it's not a gender pay gap, pay gap, it's a parental pay gap. And it's fascinating. It's go and watch that. It's only 20 minutes. Great miniseries. Like if you want yeah. to watch a, a series and learn about loads of shit, like loads yeah. of random stuff. So good. Really well produced. Netflix explained. Honestly, best thing I've ever watched. So good. Watch it. I do think we're coming into an era now where we're getting better at starting these conversations. Mm. And actually, even like like you said earlier, I feel nervous about talking about all this stuff and thinking, oh, you know, it's troublesome, tricky territory. But actually, to to actually really acknowledge how it feels and really acknowledge reality is important. So things like miniseries on Netflix, things like gender pay gap reports and all these sorts of things are so important to put out there. And I also think the reality of really talking about what COVID has brought in terms of exposure um, mm-hmm. and what it's made us um, suddenly acknowledge, thrust us to acknowledge. And that is, by the way, quite a lot of your people have children. <laughs> <laughs> oh, shit. What? <laughs> I know that we all pretend that's not true. Right. And then we all come back and, and we sort of disappear for a bit if we have children and, or two weeks or six months or a year or whatever. And we come back um, and then we might have a picture on the desk. But none <laughs> of it, none of it impedes or presses on um, or is brought to life in any way. Yeah. Because we're at work and we're professionals. Yeah, because well, if we don't have that separate line, hell and damnation will rain upon us all because Absolutely. people and their personal lives are separate and must always be separate. Oh, the newsflash. For God's sake. Guess what? We employ people. I know, right? Right? We employ actual people with souls and hearts and families. And COVID made us metaphorically and physically switch on the camera. Right. And acknowledge what it really feels like, really feels like to juggle work and being a parent and the tricky scenarios that really, really brings. And COVID closed all schools and it allowed people to have one to ones with the millions, like the children, the back and forth, the, you know, the, the conversations that you have to have on a daily basis. And COVID might have put the child physically in the room crying, needing juice, needing to be fed. Don't think that when your people aren't at work, they're not thinking, are they all right? Yeah. Are they are they eaten? Yeah. Oh God. As you know, why are they, are they crying thinking? and yeah. yeah. All that, right? All that stuff. And I think I, I think this is probably the most honest and real we've all had to be, because we're now really talking. Like, I, I hate that it's okay to not be okay because we haven't made it okay yet, right? Mm. So we're just oh, it's all right. You're not it's okay to not be to not be okay, and that that's absolutely fine. Well, okay, does that mean that everyone's having really honest, open conversations about how they feel, and that we all know how to support our colleagues that aren't okay? Because an unequipped conversation around mental health can actually be, you know, really difficult, really damaging. Um, and again, like the like the gender thing, if we're not looking at this holistically and looking at all the tools and the foundations that are required to make this successful, it's it's the same that needs to be applied to mental health. Yeah. Um, and actually, 
I have really, really chosen in this pandemic to be very honest, very honest about my um, parental responsibilities and how tricky that's been, how I'm feeling, telling my team the days that, you know what, today can swallow me up because I'm so done um, and I'm so knackered and I'm really trying my best. Yeah. Um, and I really do feel with all of this stuff, all of us are in a position of, especially in leadership, it's so vital, so, so vital. It doesn't matter what you're tackling, whether it's um, bias of any sort, whether it's the, the, the gender pay gap, parental, whatever it is, you have to really, really be doing this for real and have the real conversations like this, right? Even if sometimes they're uncomfortable. Um, and I shared it with you um, on, a, on an, another internet thing, but there was a really big day that I had a really big meeting in the middle of the pandemic. And um, my daughter said to me before the call, mommy, I'm really lonely. And she'd been on her own for months. I've been feeding her, right? But she'd been like sitting in the living room, watching a million movies. I've been trying to keep my people safe, um, making sure that they were taken care of. And she said to me just before this meeting with unions that was there because they wanted to hammer, was I doing enough? I'm really lonely. I was like, all right, bub, come here. Cradled her. And I went on that union meeting and I turned on my camera and I said to all the union people there, and I think from memory there was eight, and I said, I'm just gonna say this up front, guys. This is Emily, she's not all right. She actually really needs her mum. She's really lonely. Now I'm good, right? I wanna have this meeting with you. If she's okay, I'm okay. Right now she's got what she wants, but this is what life looks like now, right? This is what the pandemic looks like right now. And I could turn my camera off and I could pretend this is not a thing, and you'd never know she was here, but this mm. is real. And you know, we had that call and everybody on the call was distracted for a couple of minutes. Then we got into it. We had a great call, really, really solid conversation. And at the end, one of the union members just said, I really hope she's okay. Oh, wow. And you know what? Somebody on that call felt comfortable enough to have the proper professional conversation because you know, crazy, but I can be a mum and be a professional and be great. It don't, they're, they're not sort of mutually exclusive. Um, and the empathy kicked in, the real kicked in, because I chose in that moment to leave that room and say, we're all people. And actually, sometimes we're really not okay. And I'm not going to hide it from you. I'm actually just going to own it. And we're all just going to live with the reality. And you have to. And some of my, some of the women that work for me in that, we're just like, you've literally changed, it feels like you've changed the world because I now feel like I can go on my calls and say, I'm having a tricky day, right? And I wasn't doing it to give permission, but I led, I really led by example. It's so important, so important. I love that story. I'm so glad you brought that up because I was watching the clock and we were talking and I was like, I need to get the story in about Emily and the Zoom call. And I need to make sure she says that's such a powerful story. And also there's a reason I want you to ask, because I've got a question uh, around on. that. Do you think it's socially acceptable if a man did it's the same? Do you know what? I, I think my honesty is, and this might, and again, this might be a bias thing, right? If, if a dad came on the call and said, my baby's not all right, my first question would be, 
do you want to do this call or do you need some time yeah um and I think there's something about this about being real in the room mm. and actually you wouldn't be talking to me as a colleague you'd be talking to me in that minute as a, as a dad a colleague a person mm. and you'd be saying this is much <laughs> this is really much and I, I have to say I'd be taking my hats off to the fact that it's it's dad there cradling like em was there like a little whimpering mess i rocked the whole time like a proper crazy mum <laughs> <laughs> and i do think so but i think it takes another moment maybe like me with with my lot um and and, and it fed into a conversation later you know about performance we were talking about performance of team members and we were talking about what good looks like yeah. and how we can try we have to really have active conversations about not discriminating against people that have done incredible work um and they've been juggling everything else as well because for me effort's effort right and if you're up and staggering your day and you're working from like one till three in the morning because that's your peaceful place and it's your bit of hats off man mm. like mom dad co-parent whatever mm. I think I think there's space for all of us in the room sometimes it just takes that leap of faith to put yourself there um yeah. so yeah I think yeah. I would but I don't know about other people but the more we do it, well, that, yeah, like, so, it. we need to uh, be be the change we want to see don't we really uh, that's a phrase I love you know be the change you want to see mm. um because I think that the reality is at the very beginning of covid everyone was anxious about children walking into the room everyone the panic about trying to do work without it becoming apparent it took us a year but it took us a year of being consistent in not being able to control it <laughs> to be able to get to a point to say do you know what yeah cool there's kids everywhere right should we just carry on then because there is a really good example of this. I'm going to let you go in a minute, Chris, so I can't sure don't take up too much of your Sunday. But there's a really good example of this, and it was before COVID. Remember the BBC interview? Oh, I loved it, yes. Yeah, yep. and the bloke didn't react greatly, right? And everyone blamed the bloke, right? And I I actually, at the time, I was like, I didn't have a child when, when that happened, and, and I remember looking at it, and I was probably the same as what most of the society why don't you just pick his kid up and just have them and cradle him bear in mind he's a obviously a pretty high-hitting journalist on the bbc but i think the world is now different to what it was then and i would like to see that happen now and see what was different but i think when we think about all this context we've been talking about and how it's not as acceptable in the professional environment to acknowledge that me, that men are dads as well, or co-parents mm-hmm. and, and that they're part of this relationship, co-parenting, co-raising a, you know, we're just people that just have two weeks just to kind of, I don't know, build the fucking Ikea cots and that's all we're good for. And then bugger off back to work. Yeah. And, and there's a video of like what would happen if a woman was a journalist and she would just, and it's quite funny, but you know, I'm not going to tear it apart. I thought it was yeah. funny. Like the woman's there with a bottle and she starts doing the washing up or ironing or something as well. It's really funny. And, and they're like, this is what would happen if that happened to a woman. But like what we don't know is the context. So what if he'd have picked that baby up and done what we said that he should have done? 
Yeah. You should have picked that baby up and gone. Yeah. So the current economic state of South Korea, blah, blah, blah. And what would happen in a behind the scenes? I think society or his employer probably would have said that wasn't very professional. I think he was damned if he did, damned if he didn't, because I think he got a rollicking either way. I, I absolutely agree with you. And I think the reality is, and this comes back into a little bit of like, is there underlying judgment here, right? Because I can say, and like, this is, I'm going to be really brave here and say something that I'm not comfortable with. At the very beginning of the pandemic, when we were all pretending that children didn't exist, because mm-hmm. that definitely happened for a couple of months, a month or so. Yep. Um, I do remember Emily, um, I was in the middle of a call and she's wandered up and, and now my my daughter is loud right she is she is loud and she was sort of storming upstairs and she was shouting mummy and <laughs> i without thinking um i just i just closed the door trying to just mute the sound a little bit and then hoping that she would see the door shut and be like oh cool she wasn't on her own right it's not like i just no, no, left yeah, her sort yeah, of play yeah. with knives or anything <laughs> and, <laughs> right but i gently closed the door and do you know what? She was just coming up the door as it clicked shut and everything in me, I felt so angry with myself because I just shut the door in my daughter's face. Um, and even though it was gentle, even though she wasn't alone, everything in me was like, that's not human. And that's not me. And somehow this environment makes me feel like I had to do that. Okay. Um, what can I change about this? Cause this doesn't mm. feel comfortable. And actually, the gentleman in just like that situation, the gentleman in that clip, it was unexpected. It wasn't by design. And because he's human, forget male and female. He was caught off guard and he panicked. Right. And actually, so did uh, it was his wife, I think. So did his wife. Right. That's a great (laughs) clip where she shuttled in, dragged them out. So good. Everyone panicked. But (laughs) instantly, we place a lens on that guy and assume. Yeah. right that there's an instant comparison between him being a dad and what the mother would do and actually he's just a human and he panicked right. and he was right. on the bbc and actually if i was on with the bbc and everybody come wandering in telling me that she needed the toilet or whatever she would do i'd be like right? yeah yeah you it's would yeah human it's absolute yeah. human i think i i love the way you put that i think it's so true i think that's so true and and it's funny isn't it because everything that we're learning in safety when you when you get opened into this how when you start looking at the behavior piece and you start going what does make people make these behave or they make these decisions what does create behavior the environment creates the behaviors you know yeah. that's in my title segment of this podcast for a reason because yeah. We think that we're just like, we watch a video like that man on the BBC and we judge him and say, I would have made a much better decision than you and I would have behaved much better than you. Probably wouldn't have, mate. Because if you're in the exact same situation, you probably wouldn't. And if you want a really good example of that, go and watch the film Sully. Because I remembered to this day, I think, have I put this episode out? I haven't put this episode out, but I watched that film and was like, well, if you want an example of human factors and how it works and how to break it down, watch that film. Really? In the court okay. case, as they go through it and they put all the people in the, in the, um, the simulators and stuff like that. And they reenact it, blah, blah, blah. And he basically goes, it's not the same situation though, is it? And he actually says the line, which I'd forgot about until I interviewed Helen Heenan, who's a who's like a, a pilot and now a trainer. He actually says the words, as she told me, 
you're not considering the human factors. Yeah. So yeah. I'm like, oh, did he actually say that? She's like, yeah, yeah. And I'm like, I need to watch it again because I, <laughs> I don't remember that. But that is it when that's what we, we we just don't do that stuff. We watch that video and we just go, I would have been better than that. And I do it as well. I think everybody does it. We have, that's our base reaction. Oh, why mm. did he do that? But let's not judge without the context. No. Like, don't, consider the human factors. Consider the environment he was in. Yeah. Damn. Like, and it's back to that thing you said earlier about snap judgments without context are absolutely meaningless. Mm. Absolutely meaningless. Yeah. Um, so yeah, absolutely. I think um, I think a lot of this is programmed by, and this is, I think, almost full circle back to that point about what you deem success. You know, what your when you go into a company, their values are what should align to, to your values, right? And in that, you should have a really joint perception of what success looks like. Yeah. Because if I go into, you know, um, a company whose success looks like a 60 hour week, mm. right? And success looks like you might be a parent, but it never comes into it. Yeah, yeah, okay, yeah. cool. That's not my value, not right? I'm, an, I'm a whole individual. But then you look at a company like the one I've just gone to, um, you know, ask them all about how flexible they are with families, how they feel about and just so much positive energy about enabling um, being a parent to the point I had a separate call just on being a parent with my boss. This is what wow. success looks like for me, boss. Um, and this was before I accepted the position. And he phoned me the next day, you know, and he said to me, I'm phoning you just to tell you I heard you. Just to tell you, I heard every word you said about being a mum, every word you said about if she's okay, you're okay. And it doesn't really matter what you need, we'll make it work. And that is a company making real strides to be better. Um, what do you need to be? Same with the returning mum, same with a dad, same with a co-parent. What does success look like for you? What's your perception of success? Does it align with mine? Cool. And this is going to be great, yeah. you know, because I think like the way you say it is like you're um, they're enabling you to be a parent. Uh, actually, what I think they're doing is they're they're enabling you to be able to work because they're enabling you to be a parent in a way. Like so, to look at it from an like, I just I'm I'm trying to talk now to the the people that probably don't get this, the people that are struggling to be like, oh God, this is just a load of far left, hippy dippy stuff. Like yeah. these woke millennials, blah, blah, blah. Like, yeah. do you know what? If you want to label me, I'm happy with being called a woke millennial, if I'm honest. But, you know, and it's like, I'm trying to talk to those people that like actually to really realize what you're doing now is just think how well Crystal is going to be able to work for that employer now that she's had that that enablization, I suppose, that, that kind of, you know, that process that has enabled you, your life to mold itself into that workplace to enable you to succeed. And actually, do you know who I'm talking to? I'm talking to the people on LinkedIn that go, that's a Facebook post when somebody puts up a post about their family or their dog or something like that. That's not for LinkedIn. Like, and you're just like, no, mate, you need to realize they're one and the same. Yeah, not Facebook and LinkedIn, people, professional and people, personal is one and the same. Once yeah. you get that, we'll be so much better off. Absolutely. Uh, I um, I had a conversation with one of my um, one of the ladies that worked for me quite early on. 
and um, I had the, what do you need, right? And she said, actually, some of what she needed was was acknowledgement and praise through. So she knew what she was putting in as her best was being, was right. Yeah. And I'll get to the coaching part after about, you know, it's your best, value that, put that aside. Um, and she said, also, I'm going to work really random hours. And it's not going to be your core nine to five a bit. Actually, I'm really awake at night and, I, you know, a twilight for me and some time in the day with my kids. I just enabled all of it. Okay, cool. Right. This woman <laughs> exercised a project that my company had struggled with for eight years. Right. And it was a massive public facing project. Um, and she nailed that to a wall in six months. Nice. You are incredible. What do you need? I need to be able to do my own hours. I need to know my kids are okay. And I'll be able to sit in the garden while they're on the trampoline in the day. I need to be able to do the twilight that suits me. And I need to be able to crush my work. And you tell me that that's good work. Go. Right. She yeah. <laughs> nearly outperformed. She has got three children young children she smashed her work not a day off not a day sick not a day anything just absolutely and you know what a couple of times what she needed was a coffee in the evening and to be able to just verbal vomit and we did it and she is phenomenal right and one of the women that works for me five children right her and a partner together are five children and she needed to be able to just do what she needed to do when she needed to do it do it and the same for the dads and the co-parents in my team crack on and actually if you need to cancel a call with me I don't really believe in hierarchy if your kids need something and you need to cancel the call cancel it yeah yeah, right cancel unless it's like on death's door someone's you know someone's gonna die cancel it be human first and you know what we're gonna get to the end of this year we're gonna smash some wicked work out and we're all gonna feel like whole humans that's success Crystal, I could talk to you for hours. I I know, and I'm going to let you have your Sunday back because otherwise we won't talk for hours. (laughs) I just wish we were in a bar or something with a pint. That's my favourite. All we need is one bottle of wine and then we'd be off. Yeah, for sure. I could talk about this with you for hours. I love the way you talk about it. I love the way you you work and you do. What infuriates me about this sometimes is we talk about we talk about we talk about it. So many people just don't do it because it's hard to do, and I understand that. But, like let's just do it you know what I mean like so that example is such a good example like or you what I, I acknowledge like, someone will come to me as a safety guy and be like well I saw that they emailed me at midnight so I jumped on them and said you know you shouldn't be doing that are you okay hang on a minute you want to be asking them why they feel like they need to do that is it because they've got too much work in which case we can we can help them with that if they want yep. to work nine to five or is it actually because nine to five they, they're not working and, and that's just how they their life works. We need to have that conversation. We're not trying to mold this person into this old-fashioned nine-to-five work where, like, we measure your performance on how the time you clock in and the time you clock out. And yeah. actually, let's just start measuring your performance on, one, are you okay? And, two, the work you're delivering is what we, we, we jointly, collaboratively, have agreed that you can do and deliver successfully. That's right. Definitely. Right, Chris, I'm going to let you go. If people want to contact yourself or, or just have a chat with you, is LinkedIn the best place to kind of connect with you? Absolutely, mate. Yeah. Thought so. Cool. I'll, I'll drop your, as long as you're right with it, I'll drop your LinkedIn in the, in the, the, the connections below or the uh, description below. Definitely do.
Grand. Crystal, thank you very much for your time, especially on a Sunday. It's been amazing to talk to you. Been a pleasure. See you later. Okay, peeps, I hope you enjoyed that conversation between me and Crystal, all about kind of diversity and and understanding our experiences and our challenges throughout it. Diversity is is a beast of many faces, so to speak. And um, we, we we need to increase awareness around this. We need to understand each other's challenges and we need to be empathetic to each other's challenges. And through raising awareness, we need to have sensitive conversations and we need to learn and we need to work out how we talk about this stuff. So please share this with somebody that you think needs to hear this, but please remember that in doing this, we may say something, we may use a word, we may have a conversation that goes down a bit of a route that we're like, oh, well, we're all still learning here. We're all still working at how we talk about this stuff, how we have these conversations. So please bear that in mind. If you need to feedback, then please do. We welcome it and it's only going to help us improve. But ultimately, remember, we're trying to do a good thing here. So thank you very much, Crystal, for coming on. And thank you for having such an open and honest conversation with me. If you enjoyed that, please leave rate and review, share it with someone. Whatever you can do to help raise awareness will be greatly appreciated. Don't forget to check out Paradigm Human Performance, our sponsor, and more specifically their HC subscription service if you're an SME. And just for generally for everyone, um, the learning organization webinar is a fantastic source of information. If you're a health, safety or risk professional, don't forget to check out um, Project Miletium, the mastermind community. You can contact me or Colin, we'll get you on a call completely free of charge so you can try it before you buy it. Otherwise, I'll catch you next week. Safe. The views and opinions expressed in this podcast are those of the host and its guests and do not necessarily reflect the position of the companies. Examples of analysis discussed within this podcast are examples only based on limited and dated open source information and should not be utilised in real life as the only solution available. Assumptions made within this analysis are not reflective of the position of the companies. No part of this podcast may be reproduced, stored or transmitted in any form or by any means, mechanical, electronic or otherwise, without prior written permission from James McPherson.